Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Noon Podcast. Prepare to be inspired as we embark on an extraordinary journey with our guest, Katie. From starting as a mechanic to transitioning into teaching, her path took a profound turn when she discovered her passion for nursing while caring for a seriously ill family member. Katie's extensive knowledge and unwavering compassion have shaped her remarkable career. Join us as we delve into the influential patients that she has encountered while exploring how she maintains her sanity amidst the chaos and exhaustion of such a demanding field. Get ready to be uplifted by the resilience, dedication, and inner strength that define Katie's exceptional journey in nursing. Enjoy the show. Hi, Katie. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you for joining us today on the 911 Nonsense Podcast. Thanks for having me. No problem. If you could go ahead and give me an introduction of yourself, what you do for fun, what you do for work. Let's see. For work, I have been an RN for over a decade. I've been in emergency medicine for most of that decade, so about eight of the 10 years or however long um for fun I hang out with my boys I do yoga I go to therapy because therapy's good <laughs> therapy is good <laughs> um you just recently took a trip right I did actually my uh my yoga studio does a retreat every year and I went last year and I, I went this year and it's awesome you kind of fly into Cabo and then head up to a town called Cerritos, uh, like Todos Santos area, and it's pretty rural, and you just go and hang out with a bunch of women and hang out on the beach and do yoga if you want, hike if you want, you know, just do all kinds so of fun stuff. It's a yoga retreat, and you go to do yoga, like, in the places where you're going. I don't, I've never done that before, so that's neat. It's amazing. Like, there's, it's a, it's basically a house that peop, this couple has turned into a retreat center, and so they have their own studio there on their property and then rooms and it's basically a house. Uh, they have an infinity pool and a hot tub. It's just, it's this huge like mansion type thing that they run retreats out of. Is it an all-inclusive? Yeah, it includes oh, that's the cool. food and stuff and some of the adventures. But That's yeah. neat. Yeah, it was good. And you've done that a couple times? This was my second year. Second year. That's cool. That's yeah. a lot of fun. Never done anything like that for myself. Uh, before and it's been a game changer I know for being a nurse for as long as you have to that's it's good that says that you're wanting to help take care of yourself yeah and that puts you in a good space and you're not just a regular nurse you're a charge nurse I I have been for a long time yeah I stepped down I kind of wanted to be at the back of the bedside and get away from middle management and so I've offered my services as relief charge there which I'm currently doing still, um, but I've definitely stayed out of the management light for for the time that I've been there. Kind of. Kind of. You're still yes. relief charge, which <laughs> yes. probably happens more often than you'd like it to. Yeah. How's the how's the pay um, difference when you relief versus just being a, a nurse for the night or day? Um, it's just a few dollars more you get for being a relief charge. It's not a huge significant um, amount, but it's a couple dollars more in the the hourly realm. That's good. I mean, yeah. it's helpful. For sure. And I think for me, I've noticed that doing relief when I want to, like that is my strong suit. I've noticed I don't, cause I don't have to do it. It's not a role that I have to do doing it when I want. It's made me appreciate it more and appreciate it within myself. If that makes sense. 
So it just kind of changes up the shift a little bit, maybe for the day or for the week or whatever, when you do get offered that relief position. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the nurses and techs treat you differently when you're relief versus when you're not? Yeah, definitely. You're kind of in that in that leadership role. So they're looking at you to lead them, to manage them and to help corral them or to help them put out fires when fires are going out. Just you need to be there to support them. Whereas if I'm a nurse on the floor, they know I'm a resource, but I'm not utilized as much because I'm not in that role. That's good. Yeah. I mean, at, at least they're recognizing those boundaries, right? Yeah. That's awesome. And so you you said you were at the trauma center for a long time as well. Yeah. Um, how would you say that that varies from where you are now to when you were at the, at the trauma center? Um, being at the hospital I'm at now is definitely more medical calls. It's definitely more, we get sicker patients. So it's I got a higher acuity. Higher acuity and less trauma. Whereas at the trauma center, you're getting, I mean, you and I both know you're getting flown in traumas from all over the state because we, we were the only level, we are the only level one trauma center. And what would you say has been your like favorite patient in all of your years as a nurse? I, it's kind of a dark story, but. We could always get darker. I know we can. <laughs> I walked into a room one night. I was just a nurse on, in the department in one of the pods and I walked in and I wore cowboy boots when, when I'm nursing, I normally wear my cowboy boots. That is what you're infamous for. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and hugs, hopefully good hugs. But I walked in and the couple that was sitting there is an elderly gentleman was the patient and then his wife was sitting next to him. And they kind of looked cowboyish too. And I was like, oh, hey. And we were, I was kind of assessing the patient. And he was there for alcohol withdrawal. And I just was like, hey, where do you guys live? Like, where, where are you from? And they're like, oh, we live in the East Mountains. And so it struck up an immediate friendship because I was from the East Mountains and I love the East Mountains. And then I found out we both went to the same bar and that they, I mean, it was just, it was just this immediate friendship. And she ended up owning my favorite bar out there and the friendship that unfolded was lifelong and he ended up passing but we continue that friendship to this day so when you asked me that earlier to think about that I that that was like the biggest thing I could think of because out of that bad situation came a beautiful friendship I was able to be there for her when she lost her husband and grieved and even still to this day it's been years but we still like I'm there for her and she's there for me and so I feel like in this community, EMS specifically, we develop a lot of friendships like that. You mm-hmm. know, we're there for people in their hardest times and 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 when we build those friendships, they in turn will be there for us in our hardest times. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And it's just something that happens automatically. Sometimes it's not even something that you plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of, you know, one of the cool things that I got to see, my wife was recently sick. She spent 12 days in the hospital and you know, a lot of us, um, I think, undermine the floor nurses because we're ER, we're badass, this is cool. Uh, nobody does what we do as, as good as we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the care and the compassion that my wife received was, I'd never seen that before, and it was really cool. And I would have to say that, you know, we were there again for 11 or 12 days and had probably three or four different nurses 
and got two or three of those nurses' phone numbers to hang out with outside Aww. of outside of the hospital. Yeah, got That's invited beautiful. to kids' graduations, got invited to birthday parties. Like it's a really cool experience, and it was really neat getting to see it from the other side. So hearing that you're making those friendships and seeing that on the other side has been a really cool experience too. Um, man, we had some good times at, <laughs> at the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of crazy stories um, that happen at the trauma center. And I have to say that you managed it probably better than anybody else that I saw while we were there because you just took it in stride. Thank you, you know? so much. And you used a lot of resources. Um, one of the shifts that are, is probably the most memorable for me is when there was a, a bus crash. Mm-hmm. And we were getting uh, who know, 20, 30 people out of that bus mm-hmm. crash and watching you utilize the resources that we had when we were in the trauma bay. And literally every bay was used as triage with all the different kinds of doctors. You know, we had ortho there. We had cards there. We had pediatrics there. We literally had different doctors in every bay triaging and deciding whether or not those patients should stay. And out of that, you know, was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Um, this female came in and, (laughs) uh, I, and in the trauma hospital, you know, they always check and check your belongings to make sure that you don't lose anything Mm -hmm. or that nothing gets misplaced or stolen or whatever. And, um, they pulled this lady's backpack out and I can't remember how much money she had at the time, but it was was a lot (laughs) vacuum sealed, packed in this backpack. And I remember the, uh, registration clerk pulling it out in front of everybody so that everybody could see and count and make sure that nothing was missing and stolen. But it just, the amount of money in $100 bill stacks of like $1,000, I think each, filled up an entire stretcher. That was insane to me. One of the craziest nights I've seen and just the way that it was handled and then on top of all this other crazy stuff that was going on. It was a really cool night. Yeah, that was an intense night. Yeah. (laughs) And I couldn't have done it without the team behind me, like you said, registration, text, EMS, like fire. I mean, so many people, so many resources were there for us that night. And it was, it was an amazing team and we all pulled together and, and made it happen and people lived. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people, Mm -hmm. a lot of people lived. And I, that's another thing, you know, to recognize you for is that at the end of your shift, you're, you're pretty active on social media and you'll get on and say, thank you so much team, you know, and you'll tag a lot of people in that and have those conversations outside of work. And I think it's a good way to, to promote conversation, um, between your team members, which is nice because working on the ambulance and having worked at other facilities, you don't always get that support. And I know that after I left the hospital, it was like (laughs) probably right after I left the hospital, um, COVID struck. Mm -hmm. And I know that all of the hospitals were under-resourced at that time. And I know that you were also charging at that time. Mm -hmm. How did that affect you? It was an ongoing nightmare, for sure. It was hard to manage because every shift you walked into, and and this is nobody's fault at all, but every shift we walked into, there was a new, something new that we needed to implement. Something new that I needed to bring to my team to say, hey, we have to do this. Hey, guys. We're not going to do that. We're going to do this because the amount of information that people were pulling, it was something different was evolving every day with this virus. Like vented patients being prone, like that kind of stuff. So laying vented patients on their face to get them to breathe a different way or to get the fluids to drain a different way. Yeah. And then Mm -hmm. the the masks and the gowns and (laughs) all the different procedures. Mm -hmm. 
And so I had to be able to, as, as a charge nurse, kind of silence my frustrations in order to make change a good thing for my team, you know, for hope, hoping that they would embrace it because I knew there was fear and frustration for everybody, every single individual that came to work that day. I mean, everyone was staying at home and I know Rob mentioned it in his podcast, like EMS and hospital didn't stop. The whole world stopped, but we had to drive to work that day. Yeah. And keep going. And we keep were going. those essential workers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was, it was hard to definitely implement change almost on a day-to-day basis. Did you have a hard time getting people to come into work? Yes, absolutely. I know that you guys have worked on, on very minimal staffing a lot of the time, which is unfortunate because it's a great hospital and it's got a lot of beds in the ER to help a lot of people. But when we don't have enough nurses, it makes it hard to, to staff those rooms, you know, and I know that can be hard on you guys. Um, would you say that you had had a mass exodus at that time? And how did you how did you deal it was, with it? I think mass exodus came after, like right after COVID, when all the traveling nurses and all the contracts started and everything. I was, you know, a part of it as well. Um, kind of later into it, I didn't I didn't do it initially, but yeah, I think the mass exodus kind of occurred after we were just tired and done with all of it. It well, and the money, exhausting. right? That that travel nurse money. Yeah, that's definitely um, that definitely was enticing for sure. I'm sure it was for everybody. Why not get out of the facility where you've just worked your ass off day and night and making the same amount of pay for, and you're now you're getting offered, you know, double, triple the amount to to leave, and maybe even stay in the same city. Or go out of town and get to travel and see all the things that you haven't gotten to see, you know, if, mm-hmm. if you didn't have kids or if you did have kids and you wanted to do it anyways. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people kind of migrated in that direction. Yeah. I think the trauma hospital, especially the team that we had, and I know some of the people who are even still there, it had such a, a draw for us. Like we had such camaraderie and such teamwork and, and we didn't want to lose that. And we wanted to hang on to that. And we felt like we owed we owed it to the facility or to our coworkers or to our techs underneath us as managers or leaders. Like we, we couldn't leave because we owed it to the, the center to like stay and to make sure it kept working and kept moving. And do you think that the hospital made you feel that way? Um, to some extent. Yeah. But I think a lot of it was, I mean, you're a team, you're in this together. Yeah. Stay together. Yeah, definitely. Because self-love and self-care goes kind of out the window when you're bonded by trauma and you're bonded by chaos and you're bonded by just change and everything. You don't want to leave like that bond. Does that make sense? Yes. And you, you, so you're saying that you left right afterwards would you say that that whole COVID movement had a direct impact on you in your personal life? It did. However, and I've had to kind of really think about this a lot, especially lately. Um, the reason I left was I, I couldn't see any more trauma. I, especially being a charge nurse, we have to manage so many entities. You know, I have to make sure that if a trauma comes in, is the family okay? 
Um, is APD okay? Does APD need to get involved? Do I need to lock down the ER? Are my EMS crews okay? Is my team okay? And then you, and then I come, I come last. So there's, there's so many entities when a trauma comes in and you and I both know what kind of traumas I'm talking about, like the bad ones. And, um, I saw a lot of things that I don't wish on my enemies. And I think in the moment, you know, when I decided to leave, yes, the money was enticing and yes, I was just able to go across the street, you know, but I needed to get away from trauma. You know, I pulled a a dead kiddo out of a truck, you know, Halloween weekend and, I'm telling you, Sam, like, that's, I was done. That was kind of the straw for you. Yeah, I said, you know what? I've seen enough. I've seen so much. Like, this kid, I was, I was done. I was like, okay. And I, and I finished my duty. You know, I did my duty. But at that point, I was just like, I can't, like, I need a break. That's too much. Yeah, it was just my breaking point. Why do you think that one affected you so personally? I think it was like, you know, Rob said, and with his bad call, like, that kid was my kid's age, my oldest kid's age. And he was a little bit older, but um, his his buddies brought him in. Actually, these kids didn't even know him. And they just saw him laying on the ground. They loaded him up in the truck, and they drove him to the front of our ER. That's crazy. It was, you don't it, see it was that a very horrible often. night. No, and these kids were just like, they were all at the same party, and it was a college party. These kids were maybe like 19, like 20, you know, maybe not even that, 18. And just gunshots went off. And this kid that they loaded up was dead, you know, and they didn't even really know him. Yeah. So um, it was just an intense night, you know, and then we had to find out who he was and who the parents were. And, and, and my team didn't, but that, that was part of our responsibility and registration helped and, you know, and then APD got involved and we all helped each other and we all got it done. But it was just like, okay, like. I don't, I, I'm not thrilled by the sight of like trauma anymore. I don't need to see any more blood and guts and glory. Like I don't, I need to just like step away for a little bit because this is draining. It is very draining. And I think what a lot of people don't understand too is, you know, the trauma, the trauma center has a huge ER. So while you're managing all of the bad shit that's going on in trauma and it's not just trauma it's also you know resuscitation you're getting all the codes you're getting all the strokes you're getting all the you know the bad medical stuff that needs immediate attention um while you're trying to put out all those fires you're also trying to keep all the fires out of the er for another 50 55 beds i believe Mm -hmm. and then you have the lockdown unit with the psychs that are all going crazy because it's a full moon or whatever (laughs) is going on for that yeah (laughs) in that moment and there's 50 in triage and there's 50 in triage and you're holding beds that have been waiting for beds upstairs for over 24 hours and Mm -hmm. so you've turned into basically a mini or even an extra large icu because of so many sick people all while trying to deal with these people that you know really need us Mm-hmm. in trauma not to say that people don't need us we're here because people need us but there's the more acute the more important issues that need to be addressed mm-hmm. right away you know it's easy when you're working on an ambulance and you walk in and you're like hey guys huh, i brought you another one i'll see you in 15 minutes you know we'll yeah. bring the next one and <laughs> for it's sure easy to blow it off yeah so but... what do you i know you said you went to a yoga retreat earlier what how do you cope with that what do you do to to when you go home how do you take care of you? Um, I think in the meantime, or I mean, back then, I wasn't. You know, I think I, I was stuck in a lot of the 
routines that a lot of us are in, like drinking and not sleeping and just really not dealing with any of it, not facing it, getting into bad relationships, like just not taking care of her. I wasn't taking care of myself. Um, I was this great leader at work, like this, like someone that everyone loved and, and cared about. And I loved and cared about everybody that when I went home, I just felt like trash. Like I just felt like I I had no more energy for myself. I had no more energy for really anybody else. And um, so stepping away from that also was a reason I left as I, I realized like the damage it was doing to my kids and some of it was salv- salvageable and some of it wasn't. Um, but I mean, I jumped into weekly therapy almost, it's my two years is coming up. Um, I got more involved with my kids um, I started just kind of letting go of relationships that were taking, like that just took and took and took. And I started recognizing like the relationships that weren't good for me and getting rid of those and just kind of becoming kind of a hermit, you know, and really with therapy, just kind of delving into a lot of the, the bad stuff. Yeah. Stepping away from those toxic relationships. Yeah. 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 But I mean, first we have to realize like how toxic we are to ourselves and then who's bringing toxicity into us. So I've, I've really tried to work on that. Um, and then I do a lot of yoga and I like plants. I like my dogs. <laughs> that's, that's great. Um, <laughs> you know, do you think that that's uh, do you think that's because we're getting older, the plant thing? Because we've recently gotten into plants too. And I think it's just, I think my wife's turning into a little old lady. I don't think it makes me old. I'm 40 and fabulous, and I think I'm great. Get but it, I girl. do, I do <laughs> like plants. I'm like, if I can keep you alive, like, hey, kudos to me, you do know. You, do you get excited over new vacuum cleaners? Nah. No. Okay. I mean, I bought one recently, but it wasn't the most exciting thing in the world. But I was like, okay, cool. I got a new vacuum cleaner. But I live in the East Mountains. I don't live in the city. I value peace and quiet, and I've got a great home. Um, that I'm trying to build up and, and make my own. And that's definitely comforting and just trying to stay away from, I don't go out very much as I used to. I don't drink as much as I used to. Um, I remember it was a big thing to, to go to the local restaurant at the end of a 12 hour (laughs) night shift, a night shift and go Mm -hmm. at seven o'clock in the morning and go and drink and hang out and Mm -hmm. go home at the end of the day. I I never partaked in that i'm not a big drinker i've never really been a big drinker um my family has a bad history of alcohol abuse my grandma passed away from you know cirrhosis so it's not anything that i've ever uh wanted to get real serious into um would you say that you know during all of that time that you had maybe overindulged in drinking oh yeah oh, oh yeah girl <laughs> the face <laughs> how many of us had it some I mean, people <laughs> don't want to talk about it you know some people drink and they don't think that they have a problem or that it's easily controlled you know and mm-hmm. i think it's easy for a lot of us to well we're drinking with friends it's okay yeah and you it, know yeah absolutely well i think listening to some of your previous guests you know um we just we're looking for something to numb what we just went through I, I read a great book and it's called um, The Body Keeps Score. And it's a great kind of a science book for some of us nerds who it helps me. It, it kind of explains what happens to our brain when we see trauma and how like physically our body 
reacts to trauma when we see it or when we go through it and how we have to shut off a lot of our emotions or whatnot. So reading that book has been very insightful for me and why I did the things I did like drink or stay up late or, you know, just indulge in other things. And, um, yeah, it was, I mean, you had to kind of numb what happened and get ready for the next day. Yeah. Especially when you're in a management role too, that can make things I think extra hard, Mm -hmm. extra hard. And I, like I said, you know, you worked every night and you worked very hard and it was not unappreciated. Thank you. Um, so we had discussed a little bit about some of the bad stuff um, that you've seen. And I talked to you a little bit offline about, you know, how the kiddo was pretty bad for you. Was that your worst patient or your least comfortable patient? No. No. Absolutely not. Do you um, feel comfortable sharing? Yeah. Um, I had a good friend of mine. Um, I got a call and it was from her girlfriend and she was letting me know that she was being transported and my friend decided that night to take her life and inject herself with insulin and so um, I got the heads up from her girlfriend that she was being transported and as I got off the phone with her uh, she rolled in the door and she was probably GCS of three and she was kind of breathing on her own, but definitely not there. She was alive, and she lived for a few more days after she came in. But it was the worst night of my life and my career, for sure. I was seeing a friend of mine, like a coworker, um, do that to herself and have to be transported in. So she was a fellow nurse. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. That is Thank you. Sorry. That's why we're here. You know, we talk about it. We talk through it. Yeah. But um, my team, like, I mean, I definitely lost it as I'm, I mean, it was years ago, years ago. Um, my team rallied behind me, took my charge. I mean, I was in charge and uh, a dear friend of mine who I still love to this day, she took my vocera, she took my phone, she took everything and I was no longer in that role. And I could, she allowed me to just step back and kind of, process what was going on in the moment and when that happens there is really no processing it it, it was just a nightmare that I was alive in and so that was probably the worst worst day of my career yeah and I think you know I, that that really says something about your team skills when you have team members willing who you know maybe don't normally charge or normally step up into that role being able to take you out of that role and take you off that that mm-hmm. shift altogether yeah um that's impressive, Katie. You know, what you've done is very valuable and we appreciate your help and we appreciate all the things that you've done in the hospital. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. So let's let's go on to a little bit of a lighter note. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> we've talked a little bit uh, of, you know, beforehand if, if you'd had anything embarrassing that you'd like to share. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I was definitely, I mean, I was very obnoxious and had a mouth on me and I, yeah, I, well, remember this one instant, there was a tech who worked on the PED side, who we all know very well. He's now a nurse. He's now a nurse. <laughs> and he liked to kind of bully people and pick on people and push people's buttons and walk around and throw computers and throw things at people. And <laughs> so I, like I said, I mentioned earlier, I wore cowboy boots a lot to work. 
And this particular evening, he got me real mad. And I can't remember. We were fighting. Like, we, he was trying to, like, kind of box me and, like, hit me. And so I was dodging him. He was dodging me. And he was able to make contact. And he poked my chest, like, right in the middle of my chest. That's painful. And I just saw red. And so, <laughs> and I'm wearing red. Yeah, and not I saw including red. your red scrubs. <laughs> so I went to kick him. And I kicked him as hard as I could. And because at that moment, I had no control. But I kicked him as hard as I could. And I kicked his shin, I believe. Yeah, I kicked his shin and open skin. And anyway, he walked off. And it was fine. Like, whatever. We went on with our night. Well, come to find out later on, he didn't take care of his wound. Oh. At all. (laughs) And so I think the next day he went out and he walked around and he went to the bar and just a brewery and was just kind of living his life. Well, he was like, gosh, this hurts. And he thought it was just kind of bruised and he had an open wound, like no big deal. But that Like night, an abrasion yeah, kind of thing? Yeah, it okay. was. It was just an abrasion. I gave the guy cellulitis. Oh. Like, it was like a MRSA. <laughs> like, I mean, I kicked him with my boots. I mean, no, but that to be fair, he had scrub pants on, right? Yeah, yeah. So maybe his I, scrub pants weren't clean. Maybe that too. <laughs> but it was just a running joke for so long that I hospitalized my friend and coworker <laughs> and coworker and no he never picked on me well he picked on me a little bit but not to that extent i'm uh, sure afterwards. he did yeah but uh, that was definitely a running joke in the er for a long time when he had to stay at least a night to uh, get iv antibiotics for his wound that i instilled that's hilarious <laughs> and i felt horrible i visited him i was there like i think i even brought him food that's i don't good. know buddy i hope i did but yeah <laughs> It was, it was funny. That's awesome. So there's a hospital right now that is seeing kind of unprecedented times. And I want to hear your opinion on it. So we all know that there's a huge nursing, you know, uh, staffing shortage going mm-hmm. on. It's not just nursing. It's, it's literally every, every system right now has a huge shortage. But I got to see a paramedic move into a charge nurse role and then progressed not only from a charge nurse, but to being almost in charge of the entire ER. What is your opinion on that? He is not getting compensated for the amount of work he's doing. I agree with that hundred percent. And I've told him multiple times. He is so, he is such a grateful guy just to be in that position though. Mm-hmm. He's, he just, took off with it. Mm-hmm. And that is fantastic. What do you think about a paramedic filling that role? I mean, you and I both know how much respect that I have for EMS and how much respect I have for medics and paramedics. And I don't see them as below me and I've never treated them as somebody lesser than me. This man's skill set and knowledge base and intellect is far beyond than you and I will ever get to. I mean, he has educated himself to such a degree and he's very qualified to fill that role. And I love him dearly. He's a, I consider him a great friend, but I know that he's not being compensated for things that he's doing and he's being taken advantage of. Yeah. And, and even just being in my role as a charge nurse, like I know how much I gave and, and. I need to catch up with this person and like see if he's okay. But I know how much I gave and how much I lost time away from my children and my, you know, my husband at the time and all these things that I lost who I was. 
um, on a personal level. So I, I know he's giving as much as all of us did and do and even more, you know, and I just, um, absolutely he's qualified. He's awesome. So outside of, you know, outside of the hospital, probably not compensating him as much as he should be compensated. Do you think that the nurses are respecting him as a paramedic in that role? I would hope so. And if they don't, I'm coming, I'm coming for him. You kick those asses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Make sure you wear your cowboy boots. <laughs> Y'all don't call me mama for nothing. I mean. MRSA for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> sure. If that's what they need, buddy, I got your back. If someone's disrespecting you, I'll be there tomorrow. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's awesome. I, th- I think that it was so cool because they, they took that paramedic role and they expanded it to so much more. Mm-hmm. And maybe it was a position that kind of had to be forced in because there wasn't a whole lot of options at Mm -hmm. that time. But like I said, I I don't think they could have picked a better person to do that. And I hope that him getting into this position and doing these things gives more paramedics, more opportunity inside Mm -hmm. the hospital walls. I agree. And pay more and respected more. I mean, I know the facility I'm working at right now doesn't respect them as much as I do. And they don't respect I's and B's and, you know, intermediates and basics bring so much to an ER setting. So much. Sometimes more than paramedics. Absolutely. And and management doesn't, especially my, they don't understand what they bring to the table. I do. I mean, I managed you guys for so long. I hired you guys. Um, I have high respect for all of those spots. Um, but management, if you don't, they don't get it. Do you think that there's something that we could do? Maybe to to make that known, to make our presence as EMTs known to management in all settings, not just necessarily in the ER. I don't know. I think a management team would want to be open to learning those roles. You know, I think, I mean, I was kind of blinded to it until I had to be involved in it. And I was like, huh, why is this, what's this crew coming and bringing me an EMS? Like what's going on? Hey, who are, you know me. I'm like, Hey, who are you? What's your name? Can we be friends? Yeah. Let's be friends right now. You're my best friend. Hi, who'd you bring? Are you okay? (laughs) Do you need some water? Like that's just how I am. Yeah. But it would take a manager doing that. And it would take somebody like, Hey, who are you? Are you a basic? Are you an intermediate? What is that? Like management needs to step up. I feel like, and be involved in an ER setting and be involved in like what the different roles are and what they bring to the table. I mean, we're hiring at the facility I'm at now, a lot of LPNs and LPNs bring so much to the table too, but we're, then we're not hiring basics and intermediates and just, it's just this, everyone can bring so much to an ER, but I feel like management just kind of gets the blinders on and doesn't see like this global view that you and I have been involved in for, for so long. Sure. Does that make sense? Yes. Can you, can you tell me what an LPN does? I mean, I mean, they're basically nurses. Their, their scope is a little bit smaller. Um, their ability to pass certain meds, um, is a little bit smaller, but I mean, they're basically RNs just with a little bit um, a different scope than, than we are. And is that just the difference of the NCLEX? I believe so. Okay. So an LPN is a licensed practice, mm-hmm. practicing nurse. Yeah. Okay. And so you go from an LPN and then you take your test and then you get approved and then you become an RN. If that's what the LPN wants to do. Yeah. 
Like there's some people who are just good with being LPNs and there's some people who, who just do that route as well. I'm not exactly sure because I need to delve into that more. We never hired LPNs at the trauma center. So yeah. coming to the facility I'm at now, I'm like, huh, what do you guys, what is this role? Because for me, I went from being a mechanic, being a teacher, and then being a nurse. Jeez, so okay. I, I didn't, I didn't do, I, didn't, I had no medical background when I became an RN. So it's just things I need to open my eyes to, too, and learn more about. So we'll get back to that because I want to I want to circle back to that. But is being a nurse something that you've always wanted to do? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you just kind of fell into it, huh? No, not at all. Um, my mom was an RN growing up, and my mom was a huge influence on who I am today. And she always wanted me to be a nurse. And I was like, no, I don't want to be a nurse. And she did, she did more um, labor and delivery. And then she delved into home health and wound care. And I went with her on wound care visits and things like that. And then she became a teacher. And then when, when she got really sick, she tutored kids from our home. So she actually caught, she was diagnosed with lupus when I was 17 years old. So she survived lupus for many, many years and got very, very sick over, um, like my teens and twenties and, um, into my thirties, she passed away about seven years ago. And when she got really sick and she ended up in ICUs and, um, different facilities here in town, I was taking care of her. And I remember she was at, um, one of our local ICUs and I was spending every night with her. And then my dad would spend all day with her. One of the nurses, was like, hey, you got a knack for this. Cause I was helping turn her. I was helping clean her, like do all the ADL stuff and all the task stuff. And I was like, yeah, I kind of do. And she, I was like, what do you do? Like, what is your role here? And she started explaining her role. And I was a single mom at the time making teacher income, which is like $900 every two weeks. And what were you teaching? Uh, I'll give you a guess. I'll let you guess. What do you think I was I, teaching? I mean, if I had to, you, <laughs> I don't even want to offend you right now. No, you can't offend me. We're friends. PE. Yes, I was a PE teacher. <laughs> yes, I was a I PE teacher. I could just see you out there screaming at those kids. It's time to run a mile. Go run a mile right now. You're pissing me off. Go do jumping jacks. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Actually, guys, we're going to go play dodgeball today, and that's going to be amazing. You better throw that ball hard. <laughs> oh, if you all the stories wrench, I could... You can dodge yes, <laughs> that was me teaching my weights class. Like, all right, boys. We're going into the mat room, the wrestling room, and we're pulling out the volleyballs. And they are aired up, so good luck. And anyone cries, like, suck it up, let it go. That is the best thing ever. That is hilarious. (laughs) That is hilarious. (sighs) So I wasn't making much money, circling back. And I I noticed taking care of her, nothing bothered me, like, sputum and blood and guts and poop and like I just I did I had a knack for it so talking to these fellow nurses just realizing like what their schedules could be and how much money they were bringing in like and then I did have a knack for it I was like damn it mom like if she's sick in the ICU like I'm like oh you're right like fine so (laughs) while she was still alive I was able to you know she saw me be a nurse and actually work at our trauma center and um so yeah she actually inspired me to her being sick um, inspired me to to take on this profession. That's really cool. Yeah. What a, what an inspiring story. So going back, um, we had talked a little bit about it. We you and I had talked a little bit offline too about how you're kind of wanting to move away from EMS. 
um, which I don't blame you, right? We've we've both been doing this quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you talked so highly about what EMTs could do and what LPNs could do. Could you ever see yourself moving up into a higher management role and maybe kind of defending those positions? Absolutely. Yeah. I think I'm just stuck right now in not knowing how to start that and where to start. And maybe somebody listening today will will help me feed that. You know, I don't know. But I coming when you asked me to do this, I was telling you offline, like I was talking to my therapist about it. And she's like, well, why do you want to do this? And I was like, well, I have a lot to offer. I do. I have a lot of insight. I have a lot of education. And I have a lot of support and love to still give like these new these new grads, new nurses or new intermediates or new paramedics that go onto the street. Like I wasn't in the streets, but I I understand I want to tell new paramedics how they should be treated when they go into a hospital setting. Nurses shouldn't be mean to you. Providers shouldn't be mean to you. Like, you know what I mean? Like I want to be an advocate for these children basically that are being hired. In EMS providers in general, right? Yeah. I mean, I can tell you as a flight medic, a couple weeks ago, taking into the trauma center, I had a doctor like, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you bring this mm-hmm. patient in earlier? And you're like, I could, the weather was really bad. What did you want me to do? Mm-hmm. I can't oh, bring this in yeah. any faster than right. is physically possible. Right. You know? So I think, I think that would be a good starting point for you. And I hope that, um, you know, either through this platform or, you know, with some determination, you can maybe uh, bring something up at the current position that you're in mm-hmm. thank you or at a different facility you know yeah wherever you feel like you can get the most help um that being said do you think that do you think that the hospitals and i will tell you when i worked at the hospital i didn't feel like there were any really good support options for when we worked in the trauma center you know and we worked multiple codes in a night and multiple traumas in a night being in the management position do you feel that the hospitals offer enough support to their employees my initial response is no absolutely not I know that we're all human and managements, they're just human too. And when they're not in the trenches with us, they're disconnected, you know? So I think they're trying to set these platforms. I think it's a good starting point that they're attempting to create platforms for us to debrief or for us to vent. I know before I left our trauma center, um, certain providers and groups, management, like higher management was trying to create these platforms for us to, to, or, or I say platforms, but I mean like debrief sessions and it was hard. I know they were just starting it, but a lot of us are very reluctant to join in those things because I don't want to go talk to a assistant director about the child that just died last night and how I could have done better, how I'm affected by it. First of all, I don't even know how I'm affected by it just yet because I haven't even processed what yeah, I just saw. that time. Because when you and I have a trauma or have something bad happen, we have to get ready for the next one and the next one and the next one. So the processing, <laughs> it takes a while. But I think mental health and mental awareness is becoming um, a good, a, a bigger picture and a bigger thing for people to discuss and be open about and support, which I love. Um, so I think it's coming, but it's just stepping stones right now. Just needs that little extra push. Yeah. And honestly, like 
we would rather go drink with our friends who just all trauma bonded over this awful night and go drink and vent and numb it than face it and then like really process it all. I mean, that's, it takes work. I mean, I've been in therapy for almost two years and it's not easy. No. Therapy's not easy. No. And, and taking back layers and layers of years of stuff, it's not an easy task. It takes a lot of hard work. Well, not not everybody's going to drive with their first therapist either. And I I think that it's easy to go in and be like, well, that wasn't good. So I'm not doing it again. You can always fire your therapist and you can always find another one. Mm-hmm. But I think part of that is you needing to take care of yourself and you finding that within yourself, you know, to go and find another one and to try and to make that work. So I'm glad to hear that you've, I think you've been with the same person for the last two years. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think, um, I know you guys talked about it in Rob's session. Um, men, it's, it, there's a stigma there. There's and a stigma. It's awful. And I, I enjoy when I meet somebody and they're like, yeah, I like, I mean, when men are open to it and it's, it's so beautiful. It's such a wonderful thing because so much that they go through is just as hard as we go through as women. I mean, take gender out of it. It's just a humans are hurting everywhere. So it's amazing when people recognize that they're hurting and they go get help. Yeah, I agree. You know, it is a stigma and it is a stigma that's worse for men, but it's also a stigma for EMS providers. And I've talked about this multiple times about how we're just told to suck it up and just push through and go through. And I, I do see a change and it's a good change mm-hmm. and it's going to be a hard change. It's going to be a really hard change for EMS providers to step up to take care of themselves and then for also the managers to step up and take care of their employees. So if you could go back and give yourself a piece of advice, what would you tell your younger self? You are enough and take care of yourself. Like we're just not taught to take care of us. I don't, you know, I've been, I love everyone else. I love so many people and I still have so much love to give, but I am a child when it comes to loving myself and teaching myself how to love myself and how to give myself what I want and what I need. How would you define PTSD? Um, it kind of, I mean, it kind of wraps up in that whole triggers, you know what I mean? Like, I know we've all thrown that word around, but I mean, PTSD is, is a real thing and it's, you know, when just something kind of triggers us of something bad that's happened in our past and we react the same way we reacted when that incident happened. Does that make sense? Like, yes. So we're we're reacting in a way that we would have when that situation happened. And would you say that you suffer personally from PTSD? Yes. And would you say that that is directly related to your job? No. Absolutely not. I think it's related to childhood trauma, um, things that I've struggled with in my childhood, teens, 20s, 30s. I think I've always, a lot of us come from chaos. And so I think a lot of us thrive on chaos. And then falling into EMS is just chaos. Whether it's organized or unorganized, we, we, we thrive in chaos. We live for it. We love it. You know, we're comfortable in it. So part of my PTSD and part of my healing is coming out of chaos and being comfortable in peace. 
And it's a whole new world that's very uncomfortable because that's where I live. I, I'm okay in chaos, but I've, I don't want to be in, I don't want to live in chaos and I don't want my sons to be comfortable in chaos either and to thrive in chaos. So I want to teach them to be comfortable in peace and self-love and self-care and that self-love is not selfish. So, so what advice would you give them today for their future selves? I mean, I tell them every day to just, when you're overthinking and when that negative brain kicks in, like shut it off and say, be grateful and be grateful for waking up today. And if you worry about the past, then you're going to be depressed. If you're worried about the present, you're going to be present and happy. If you're worried about the future, it's going to bring anxiety. So the future brings us anxiety and the past brings us depression. Live in the present and be grateful for today. I'm so grateful for today. I'm so grateful for you. Thank I'm you grateful for, having for me. you, Katie. <laughs> Thank you for having Thank me. Thank you, you know? so much for coming out yeah. today. What a great conversation. Thank you. I cannot say thank you enough for coming out and joining us on the Noon Podcast today. Thanks for having me, honey. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for listening to the 911 Nonsense Podcast. Please remember to comment, review, and share with friends if you enjoyed this episode. If you're interested, we sell all kinds of Noon merch at samspursuit.com. Again, thanks for listening and see you next week.